District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org to learn about our sponsor and the great work they're doing. Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Today's episode will be a quickie. I want to highlight a very disturbing development involving one of Virginia's most iconic whitetail bucks, the famous Hollywood Cemetery Buck in Richmond, our capital, and the apparent poaching of it, and conclude more So on a happy note with a very cool action center you can be involved in if you want to keep your household appliances that would likely be phased out by so-called energy efficiency standards coming from the Department of Energy. I saw on social media late last week a headline from Outdoor Life entitled Poaching Investigation Begins After Famous Hollywood Buck turns up dead on Facebook. And the tagline is, when photos of well-known non-typical buck surfaced on Facebook, social media sleuths accused a Virginia man of poaching three bucks. A little context about this Hollywood cemetery deer that called this cemetery, which is home to some historical figures, including some controversial ones when Virginia was part of the Confederacy. And deer like to hang out in this place. I was reading more into whether or not this area is obviously off limits, and it is, and even beyond being basically off limits, it's a National Register historic place, and I think that would make it so that it's under National Park Service regulation. So if this individual did poach the Hollywood buck and two other deer from this place, that is a big yikes. Let's read more into this article. There's also a very popular Facebook page I follow. It. It's called Star City Whitetails. It's an homage to Roanoke. Roanoke is nicknamed Star City, and they post deer harvest and hunting harvest from Virginia from all over the Commonwealth. And so the manager of the page, Jeff Phillips, received a photo of the Hollywood Cemetery buck, and he had read the caption or, or titled the caption rather Prince Edward County killed with 50 cal muzzleloader shot this in the morning at 7 13 a.m at 20 yards my third mounter this year biggest buck of my life and according to outdoor life 30 minutes later the post blew up dozens of people identified the deer as the hollywood buck a well-known deer with distinctive antlers that lived in and around hollywood cemetery in richmond the trouble hollywood cemetery if you don't know is about 70 miles northeast of prince edward county where the Poacher in question, Jason Walters, claimed to have shot his buck. People began contacting Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources, accusing this individual of poaching it from Richmond city limits. Two additional bucks Walters claimed to have killed have also been identified by locals and wildlife photographers as living in the cemetery. The Department of Wildlife Resources is aware of the situation and we are conducting an investigation, says DWR Lieutenant Frank Spuchesi, a Region 1 manager overseeing the officers on the case. We've gotten so many tips now that I'm not really sure which one was the very first one he added. A lot of our cases are high profile, but this one does seem to be getting a little bit more attention due to the fact that some of these deer were seen by a lot of people in the public and photographed a lot. They were out in the open. They weren't elusive like a lot of deer are when they get 
to that age, urban deer have a tendency to be seen a lot more. And of course, um, the report goes on to say that uh, they didn't identify this Walters character as a person of interest at the time, but he did confirm an investigation, including multiple bucks. And they read more into the other bucks from this individual, the alleged poacher, one with a dark antlered eight point picture reportedly shot in Richmond. And that was November 20th. The other is December 1st when he posted photos of another eight point buck on December 1st that he claimed to have shot in Chesterfield, which is a suburb outside of Richmond. Now I look at the photo of the grip and grin and compare it to the cemetery buck, the Hollywood cemetery buck. And you see the tines almost like matched to a T. Like it, this is a very highly identifiable buck, very infamous, beautiful too. And I think the reason why it has such kind of like an untypical headgear is because of nutrients in the cemetery. I've read that sometimes that happens. We don't really have, to my knowledge in Virginia, people probably do this, but we don't really have deer farms here. So it's very weird to see this naturally occur because you often see this kind of headgear in private deer farms and private deer farms are alleged to be kind of a source of chronic wasting disease. That's the debate and kind of accusation with it, but this is a natural deer. And, and from my understanding, like I said, when there are a lot of nutrients in the soil, I guess this is why there's such an, you know, elaborate headgear from my knowledge. I think my wildlife biologist friends can correct me where I'm wrong. What explains such a unique kind of headgear in a deer, but I think it has to obviously do with, with what it eats. Um, in this case, especially with something so unique and non-typical like this. And the report, according to Star City Whitetails, um, he is quoted as further, it was a nationally known deer, but that deer has declined significantly rack-wise, believe it or not. When the poacher, alleged poacher, sent the picture in, I just thought, damn, that's a beautiful deer. But I did not think or see any of association with that particular deer at the Hollywood Cemetery. A Richmond-based wildlife photographer, Bill Draper, made the connection instantly. Draper takes photographs at the cemetery in Maymont Park and enjoys private access to grounds that the public can't always visit. For years, Draper has photographed deer alongside the James River in Richmond, including the so-called Hollywood buck, which he called a 22 or 24 point, depending on the year. I know this deer better than I know my three daughters. I can tell you every little nub on the antlers. I've got very different angles, front, back, side, right, left, says Draper, noting that many photographs of the Hollywood book that appeared on Facebook comments were pulled from his pages. It was starting to look a little haggard and rundown. It's an old deer. It has huge, unbelievable world-class antlers four years ago. Obviously, this is another four years later, and it's still phenomenal. Apparently, Draper, according to Outdoor Life, said that he took his last photos of the buck on October 13th in Richmond, although he's been very careful to avoid posting any photos or information that would reveal too much about the deer's location for fear that someone might poach it. Draper says he could find the animal if he looked hard enough, especially lately since the buck had been moving less. And so the other two deer that were poached as well were also photographed by this gentleman and some others. So once they are able, once DWR is able to make a full determination, I think they are going to come out and determine that it is the Richmond Hollywood, Richmond cemetery buck. And that's a shame. And when people do this for, I don't know what brag worthy rights and claiming, Oh, I got this big deer 
it's great if you get this legally and not in a restricted area, but if you do this in an area where the, where the deer is known and, and it's protected and it's federally protected, in fact, if that is such the case, if this is a, a registered place in the national record, that is going to incur probably a hefty fine and punishment, as it should, because you should know better than to poach a deer in a federally protected area or an area that is off limits. It's not good sportsmanship. It doesn't look good, and you make a lot of people angry, and then you invite people to hate hunters even more. I will try to have an update when there's more to this story, but excellent reporting from Outdoor Life. I believe it was Natalie Krebs who wrote this piece and brought it to all of our attention. So thank you, Natalie. Independent Women's Network, which is a sister organization of IWF, where I serve as director of our Center for Energy and Conservation, unveiled a brand new action center, perfect for the holidays, for weighing, comment, and submitting feedback, comment in opposition to regulations with respect to household, common household appliances. If you guys don't already know, I think there have been over 100 regulations and rules created to phase out what has been deemed not green-friendly, not environmentally-friendly, not climate-friendly household appliances, which the Biden administration alleges is more harmful than alternatives. And I'm going to explain what the motivations are behind this because you crunch the numbers, you look into the conversion costs of what it's going to take, what the burdens, financial burdens will be for manufacturers and the lack of savings consumers will save with this. And then you see something called climate monetary benefits, which doesn't sound like a real measure of monetary value to me. It just sounds like something invented. When you, if you're someone who knows basic mathematics, you can't. It's it's hard to calculate what your net savings for climate are. But that's just me. But anyway, so we have a, an action center for 18, at least 15, upwards of 18 appliances that the Department of Energy has either already finalized in terms of phasing out or severely reducing the number of models on the market. We have a resource guide with sites and listings back to the original sources. These numbers were not taken out of thin air. We, I worked alongside some of my colleagues at Independent Women's Forum Voice Network. We crunched the numbers. We explained what the cost of conversion is and actually the lack of savings consumers will have were these rules to be adopted. And here's an example of what we featured. So we obviously talk about gas stoves. Gas stoves are a target of preservationist environmentalists, especially regulators at DOE. There was actually first discussion of this about a year ago at the Consumer Protection, Consumer Safety Protection Commission. And it was a commissioner who is the only son of Richard Trumka, a big labor organizer, who was behind and entertained a gas stove ban first before this proposed rule to essentially get rid of 50% of gas stove models was presented shortly after in February of 2023. So all the gas stove language and rules there, refrigerators, dishwashers, microwave ovens, air conditioners, gas furnaces, ceiling fans, air cleaners, washing machines, clothes dryers, dehumidifiers, coolers and freezers, incandescent light bulbs, which were phased out as of August 1st of this year, pool pump motors, consumer boilers, electric motors, water heaters, and the like. And that's probably just a splattering sampling of the appliances they're going to try to phase out. Like I said, they took action on over 100 last December, they claimed. 
And that number probably is expected to double, maybe triple by the end of this administration. If we were to look at this, you know, end of next year. And here is a little explanation why we did this more. If you're curious and the, the action center is called hands off my house. Here is what our backgrounder is. Like I said, I read for you some of the appliances that we want you to help fight back regulation on. We are essentially telling supporters of ours at IW Network, tell the Biden administration to get out of your home. This is attributed to net zero and pursuing climate goals to phase out fossil fuels by arbitrary deadlines. And when that happens, when you're first targeting energy sources, then it trickles down to household appliances. Then it's going to trickle down to petrochemical byproducts and everything that is dependent or derived from fossil fuels, of which there are many products that make our lives easier, more manageable, and ensure we don't live in poverty. Here's more into the action center briefly. The DOE's net zero agenda attempts to regulate household appliances in nearly every room of your home. Bureaucrats have implemented or proposed over 15 bans or regulations that affect appliances like gas stoves, dishwashers, water heaters, and refrigerators. Gas furnaces, if you didn't know, are going to be uh, the ban on them finalized by 2028, and there's so much more. And one study determined that if you were to rewire your house or reimagine your house with green appliances, so-called green appliances, it would add another $9,000 to expenses in your house. With talks of inflation, with inflation really consuming everyone's mind and impacting people financially, do you really want to have $9,000 more added to expenses? I don't think so. Especially when these alternatives that are being proposed consume and use a lot more energy. They actually have higher upfront costs. The costs of conversion are ridiculous when you analyze each rule individually. And I looked through the federal register for each of the rules in the midst of all kind of the gobbledygook and made up math that they have about, you know, savings you're going to have from climate benefits. Like I said, it's very hard to quantify that. I don't know where they got this number because a lot of these technologies don't work to fruition. And so to me, it seems like you have to look for what's the cost of conversion and what the burdens are going to be on consumers and the savings across the lifetime use of these so-called alternatives. I think for one, it was for ceiling fans. They said that you're going to save so much in energy and you're going to exhaust less electricity, da, da, da. But they found that the savings you'll have across the shelf life of your ceiling fan is only $36 for a couple of years. So what savings is that really in the grand scheme of things? It's not a big savings. And then we have also a breakdown in our explainer sheet, like what the actual cost is to consumers, what you're going to be losing, what you're going to have to pay more, why this is bad for manufacturers and consumers. So we have a form. It is obviously very easy to understand. You don't have to add any message. You can, you know, edit a message if you want to, but I think we already have a pre-crafted message for you. You can add a little more. We have a handy you know, resource for you. It's all filled out. And then all you just have to do is put your name and your email and it's good to go. And it'll get directly to energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm. So you have to go to iwnetwork.com slash action slash hands off my house. And then you can click further. You can see this great graphic that one of my colleagues did. And then if you click to the bottom, see a complete list of sources here. This is where you're going to see, like I said, what, what are the targeted appliances and then the breakdown of cost of conversion, the lack of savings you will have and more. So if you want to take action, resources are included in the show notes. I hope you do. Um, you do have to be part of independent women's network. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if 
you can submit it and not have an account. But I encourage you to get involved and submit comment that way because it would be nice to not see these regulations come to fruition. It's going to make home life a lot more expensive. And you all see utility bills and it's winter. Things are getting colder. Could you imagine, again, having to have $9,000 additional expenses to worry with all these unreliable, untested, so-called energy efficient appliances? It's going to be a nightmare. And so... I want to encourage you to take action in this regard. And I was really proud to work with my colleagues, McKenna and Sakai and others on our team to get this off the ground. This is not just for the holiday season. This is going to be a evergreen action center. We're going to really up the ante with it after the new year, especially as these rules get to be finalized. So this is not going, this is not temporary. This is a more longstanding action center. Would love your feedback. Let me know what you think of it. And kudos to my team members for making this possible. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people and I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners and we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.